Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome back to another episode of Financial Heresy, where we talk about how money works so you can make more, keep more, and give more. Today, we are talking about surviving and thriving through hyperinflation. Now, these days, we are seeing inflation come back down. Uh, Every single month, the inflation readings are starting to get a little bit lower. That doesn't mean we are not seeing prices go up. All that means is that the rate at which prices are going up has been de- decreasing. <laughs> that is what de- uh, what disinflation is. Disinflation is when the prices are going up still, they're just going up at a slower pace than they were the month prior. Think of it this way. Think of it like a car. When a car is going along on the freeway at 65 miles an hour and it continues to go at 65 miles an hour, is it moving forward, staying in place, or moving backwards? It's clearly moving forward. So in that case, there would be inflation and prices are moving ahead. So the car is moving forward. Now, if the car starts to accelerate and goes to 75 miles an hour, that just means the rate of inflation is increasing. So the rate of inflation goes from 6% a year to 7% a year. Now, what about the opposite? Let's say the car slams on the brakes, goes to 55 miles an hour, 45 miles an hour. Now, let's say inflation does that goes from 7% to 6%. It's still moving up. Prices are still going up just at a slower pace. Now, if you get to 0% inflation, that just means the prices have stopped going up. doesn't mean the prices go back to where they were before. So if the price of bacon goes from $10 a package to $15 a package, well, inflation for bacon was 50%. And then if it stops going up from there, inflation will say 0%, but it's staying at that higher level. So right now we're seeing some disinflation take place, but keep in mind, every fiat currency throughout all of human history has failed, except for the few that are still surviving today. Other than that, every single fiat currency has failed and the ones that still exist today have already lost 95 to 99% of their value compared to the value where they started. Think about that. Every fiat currency in history has failed, and the ones that still survive today 
have already lost 95 to 99% of their original purchasing power. So if we are going to make a bet on what to prepare for in terms of uh, potential bad outcomes, hyperinflation, a collapse of a currency, a currency ceasing to exist is up there in terms of likelihood. And it's also up there in terms of if you're not prepared for it, you can get royally screwed over. So today we are talking about what are some practical things It's very practical, very applicable. We're going to look at a bunch of different action steps that people can take and have taken uh, that are uh, applicable for preparing to to survive and to thrive through hyperinflation. So where is this coming from? Well, number one, um, I currently have friends that are living in Lebanon. Lebanon has the highest rate of hyperinflation in the world right now. It's not Venezuela, it's not Argentina, it's not Turkey, it's Lebanon right now. Um, And so firsthand account of what's going on there. The other thing is uh, you can look up some stories uh, of people who have told their story, who lived in Venezuela, who lived in Argentina, who lived in Zimbabwe, who have lived through recent episodes of hyperinflation and what it's like. And I've done this. You can also read about for you know the history books on what hyperinflation was like in the Weimar Republic in Germany two bucks when money dies and uh the the death of money i believe um one of them is by Adam Ferguson and both of these books are about the uh collapse of uh of the mark uh, in Germany, hyperinflation that took place there. Um, and so once you, the, the thing about, the thing about studying history is it's not, it's not so that you can, um, avoid the consequences of it. It's just so that you can, um, it, you know, cause it's happening anyway, right? The, the Winston Churchill quote is that those who, uh, um, study, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Well, no matter whether you study or not, you're doomed to repeat it. It's all about being prepared for what's coming so that you have may, may or may not have to suffer the consequences of what's happening. And so when you study history, like when you read biographies and study history, what starts to happen is not that you unlock secrets. It's just that pattern recognition sets in and you start to recognize, oh, this happened then and then and then and then. And the consequences were the same every single time this happened. And now the same thing is happening now. Well, then there's a high degree of possibility that <laughs> that the consequences are going to be the same now as they were every other time this has happened before. So that's what we're going to talk about right now is uh, kind of what it's like to live through um, hyperinflation, because that's a, a it, that's a very big possibility for many people in the world today that that sets in if it hasn't already uh, for uh, for some people. So number one, the number one thing that happens is that uh, inflation starts to get measured in smaller increments, or I should say in smaller time frequencies. So right now we measure inflation um, normally year over year. And so we look at prices, our price basket right now, and we look at, uh, you know, October of 2022, prices were, you know, 7% higher than they were in October of 2021. Now, in certain things and certain items and certain uh, time periods, Recently, we've measured inflation month over month. So, hey, for gas, uh, for diesel, for oil, for food, for rent, uh, it was up this much month over month. And that just means October of this year versus September of this year. So how much do the prices change this month? 
And so when you start to see hyperinflation take root, that time period changes. So nobody ever looks at year over year anymore. Month over month becomes the standard. And then people start to look at week over week inflation. And when you start to see prices going up every single month, every single week, eventually people start looking at daily price increases. Now, this is where things start to really collapse, economically speaking, but that is uh, the, 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 the shrinking time periods in between the measurements of prices is one of the early hallmarks of the onset of hyperinflation. Now, think about what this would do to you on a, uh, you know, if you're operating a business, if you're working, if you're trying to schedule out your life, if you're looking around and you're seeing prices change every single day and the prices only go up, what is that going to do to your psyche? You're going to feel very stressed out. Number one, you're going to feel discouraged because no matter how much you make, you have to spend it very quickly. Otherwise, you won't be able to buy that same stuff with it. So it virtually eliminates the possibility of saving for any large purchases in the future because the prices go up faster than you can even save. Right now, at least for people who save in US dollars, yes, over long periods of time, it erodes your purchasing power. But for a lot of people, you still have the opportunity to save up significant sums of money if you want to and use it to make purchases. Yes, if you're trying to save up for something, let's say $100,000, it might take you years to do that. And by the time you get to that point, maybe you need $120,000 or $130,000 to get you what used to be $100,000. But when hyperinflation starts to set in and prices are going up every day, you, you, that's, that's no longer an option for anybody. Because the rate at which you can save is surpassed by the rate of inflation. So if you can save $100 a day, well, life is costing you $200 a day more. So it's impossible to save for any large purchases. So it locks people in to their uh, socioeconomic uh Uh, step of the ladder that they're on, rung of the ladder that they're on, and then starts to push people down. It becomes virtually impossible for people to move up the ladder. You can't save. You can't have that time preference for looking at the long-term future. You can't prepare for investing. You can't do a lot of these things that are necessary for economic growth long-term. So it's very, very devastating for individuals' financial uh, uh, statuses and for the overall economy. The second thing that starts to happen is that there's not enough money. And this is <laughs> this is one of those counterintuitive things that happen when you study what goes on in the individual lives of uh, of people during hyperinflation. One of the things you'll notice is there's this general sense everywhere with everybody that there's just not enough money because the prices are so high that nobody can afford to get things. And so everybody thinks, hey, if I need more money, then that's the solution for the economy, right? Um, If I need more money, then and more money would fix my problems, then clearly more money would fix the entire economy's problems. And so the policymakers who are in charge fall prey to this uh, uh, incorrect assumption and think that, hey, If we just print a little bit more money, we can use it to buy this thing and that will fix the problems and then we will have enough to go around. But the problem is that the money isn't the wealth. So we've talked about this before, but money just measures wealth. Money is where value is stored in between your labor being exchanged for real wealth. And so it's like a pizza. You have eight slices of pizza 
Somebody else comes over for dinner. You realize you don't have enough pizza. You need more slices. So what do you do? You go and slice each of your pizza slices into two slices. Now you have 16 slices of pizza. Did that solve anything? No, because now instead of you needing four pieces of pizza to get full, now you need eight pieces of pizza to get full because the slices, which is the money, just represents the measurement of how much pizza there is. So when you increase the number of slices, the units of measurement, you decrease the size of those units, the value that is actually represented there. And same thing with money. When you print a bunch of money, you don't create more wealth. You don't print more goods and services into existence. The only thing you do is you increase the quantity of units needed to measure the same amount of wealth. And so there's really a wealth shortage that's going on here, not a money shortage. And by increasing the quantity of money to solve the problem, you're not doing anything other than increasing the amount of money necessary to get the same amount of wealth. So there's this general sense that I need more money. And so people try and do what they can to get more and more and more money. But knowing that the prices are going up, then as soon as they have the money, they have to get rid of it as fast as possible. Um, The next thing that starts to happen is power outages. So this is something that's very um, uh, common right now in Lebanon is that uh, there are massive rolling blackouts that are sometimes scheduled and sometimes not. Um, There are power outages. And so you have people trying to work And then suddenly they can't because the power goes down. So they've got no internet. You got people trying to get from point A to point B transportation. And then suddenly they can't because there's no power. There's gridlock. There's some sort of uh, um, problem that's eight steps removed from the original problem. Um, Power outages start because now the country just can't afford to buy uh, energy. Many countries import their energy and they can't afford to buy it anymore. Well, how do they buy it? Well, normally they're going to buy U.S. dollars. How do they buy U.S. dollars? With their own currency. But their own currency is becoming worth less and less and less. And so they have to print more and more of their own currency to buy U.S. dollars to buy energy. And so it's becoming more and more unaffordable for the country to get energy. And so the price of energy goes up and as they can't afford it, now you've got power outages uh, that are uh, sometimes scheduled and sometimes unscheduled rolling across the country, interrupting commerce and business and everybody's lives. Now, this is just one more thing added on top of everything we've talked about already that is getting in the way of people being able to survive and thrive economically speaking, because How are you going to hold a job and be productive and make money if you are constantly being interrupted by uh, by power outages? You're not going to be able to do that very successfully. Um, Add on top of that now the brain drain that starts to happen in countries like this. What parents who want the best for their kids would try and keep their kids in a country that's collapsing like this? Very few. And so. Parents and families who want the best for their children are looking around and saying, this place is doomed. Get out of here as soon as you can. Now, a lot of times those kids will leave. They'll go get jobs and they'll send money back to support their families. But they're not doing anything to help out their local economy in terms of the smartest people all leaving instead of staying to come up with better solutions, the hardest workers leaving to go make more money because they're the best suited for the best opportunities instead of staying and working on it. And so you've got uh, the brain drain, the best and the, the smartest people, the hardest workers are all leaving 
because the opportunities are not there because they need to support their families because their families have told them since they were young that they need to get out of there as soon as possible. And so you don't have the people necessary to stay to solve the problems. Um, next up on the list is things like food shortages. So same with power shortage outages, most food in most countries is imported. And so you have, uh, you have food shortages where people will line up and they'll try and get, uh, they'll try and get food and it'll be rationed. And by the time they get to their, you know, they're in the back of the line by the time to get to the front, there's none left. So you have massive food shortages again, because everybody's trying to buy it as soon as it's available. And then it's gone. And then there's a wealth shortage, not a money shortage, but people think it's a money shortage. So they start to print money in order to solve this problem, but that devalues their currency. So they need to print more and more money to buy more food from overseas and it continues or from uh, um, outside their borders. And so it continues to compound the price. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 join us march 20th live from the edge at hudson yards in new york city featuring an unforgettable performance by grammy and academy award-winning singer songwriter and composer john batiste the all-new infinity qx80 is unlike any luxury suv you've ever seen Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Problems. Another one of these problems is things like gas shortages. Um, specifically, uh, my friend uh, talked about how they'll wait all night in line um, at a gas station, wait for the gas station to open up in the morning, and hopefully there's enough for each one of them to get a gallon or two gallons. And if they're too far back in the line, well, 
it sucks. Now you got to walk home. You just wasted all that time not being productive, not being with your family, not doing something else that you could have been doing in hopes that you would get something and you don't actually end up getting anything for it. And so imagine the morale in a situation like this. The ability to continue to perform your vital duties just uh, plummets for everybody across the entire economy. Um, Any one of these problems by themselves would be devastating. And not only are they symptoms of the deeper problem, which is the money, but they also compound on each other and they feed into each other. And you can't stop or solve one um, without stopping and solving the others. So now let's talk about prices changing rapidly. So we talked about prices changing daily. When it gets really bad, prices start to change even hourly sometimes. This happened in Zimbabwe. Some It's, it's happened recently in Lebanon. Um, when prices change uh, rapidly, like hourly, you'll go and you'll go and try and buy something. And in live time, you'll see the prices being changed. Really what's happening is the the value of the object is not changing. It's the value of the currency changing. So you want to go buy a loaf of bread. There's going to be two prices posted there. And this is, uh, as a side note, this is another hallmark of hyperinflation setting in is when um, you have multiple currencies starting to be used uh, in uh, in uh, regular day-to-day commerce, not official commerce, but regular, regular people day-to-day commerce. So uh, specifically in Lebanon, they, their, uh, their pound, their lira, is one price and then the euro and the dollar um, are, are other prices. And so the, um, the, the exchange rate between the, the lira, the pound, they, they use that, those terms interchangeably there. Those ones are constantly changing. The, um, uh, uh, the, the pound and the, uh, and the, I'm sorry, the euro and the uh, dollar are not changing as rapidly, um, if at all. And so as the value of their own currency falls versus, let's say, the dollar, their prices of how much of that uh, of their own currency it will take to get that item, like that uh, uh, loaf of bread, will continue to increase. And so you'll see that happening in lifetime. So a lot of times people will go and they'll go to buy a loaf of bread, let's say, and you'll get there and you'll have your, you know, your million Uh, million dollars that you need to buy that loaf of bread. You get there and you realize, oh, now that loaf of bread is $2 million instead of a million dollars. So you go back to the bank, you get your your other $2 million out of your bank account uh, in order to buy this bread. And now you've reached your daily max withdrawal because they have a daily limit of $2 million that you can withdraw. And they set these limits in order to try and stop inflation from happening. Because if they let you withdraw all of your money, then people would just spend all their money immediately. So you, you go get your other million dollars from the bank. That's the end of the amount that you can take for that day. Now you go back to the uh, bread maker. You try to buy your loaf of bread. You get there and you realize now the price is $3 million. Now you're stuck. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. You've got $2 million in your hand. You can't get any more today. And that price of that loaf of the bread just went up another million dollars in the last hour. And now it's $3 million and you can't get any more. And so this is how this I'm, this I'm not making this up as like a hyperbolic imaginary story. This is the re the reality of the situation that real people in Lebanon today are facing in Zimbabwe have faced, in Argentina and Venezuela have faced, people living under hyperinflation. This is the reality. This is what happens when governments allow their currencies to get printed into oblivion. Um, 
Now, I want to discuss again about that bank limit because uh, in you'll see photos if you look up Weimar Germany, the Republican Germany, you'll see wheelbarrows full of cash. You'll see the Zimbabwe photos, people taking, you know, stacks and pallets of cash. Let's say hyperinflation sets in, in the United States. It would not be wheelbarrows full of cash. Nobody's gonna, nobody lives like that here. We have a very low population that uses all cash for everything, very low unbanked population. But instead, we do have debit cards and credit cards. We have ATMs. We have daily transaction limits. Most people have probably never run into this, but if you ever try and transfer too much money at one point, your bank will put a stop to it. If you ever try and spend too much money on your debit card in one day, your bank will put a stop to it. There are limits. And if the government is looking and saying, hey, we know that as people spend money, the prices go up, so we need to stop people from spending money, what are they going to do? They're going to impose daily spending limits. So in this case, it doesn't matter if you've got $10 billion cash in the bank has no bearing if the daily limit is $1 million. And so the uh, banking limits become a tool that the governments use to try and stop inflation, even though that is almost worse than a band-aid on the situation. And right now in Lebanon, you actually have people robbing the banks, just taking what is actually in their accounts. So they're not robbing banks. You know, if you went, if you've got, let's say $10,000 in your bank account and you, you decide to rob a bank and you're going to steal a million dollars. So you're, you're stealing the bank's money or somebody else's money. It's not like that in Lebanon right now. There are bank robberies happening just so that people can steal the amount of money that is in their own bank accounts because the limits are preventing them from being able to access their own money. So they're trying to do this just to survive. Um, The next thing that happens as a result of this is that laws are constantly changing. You have incompetent leadership, obviously, otherwise you wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. (laughs) You have uh, new leaders coming in. You have riots taking place. You have political instability of new people coming into power, then leaving power. So you have laws constantly changing. You have new laws being talked about that some people say, okay, well, let's just act as if this new law is going to get passed because it's going to be uh, you know, pass soon and it'll be good if it happens this way. And so let's act because we have a high likelihood that it happens and then it doesn't happen. And so you have all this instability of laws and regulations that puts, again, the brakes on business activity. How can anybody make future plans when you don't know what the rules of the game are going to be? This is one thing I talk about fairly frequently that um, a, a, a system with bad rules that don't change That is better than a system with constantly changing rules, even if those rules are better. And why is that? Well, imagine you're playing a game and the rules are constantly changing in an unpredictable manner. You can take two steps forward. Now you cannot take two steps forward. Now, every time you roll this on the die, that means that you lose 10 points. But now every time you roll the dice that way, it means you gain 10 points. It's like it's impossible to form any sort of long-term strategy to try and move yourself forward towards achieving the goal of winning if you have no idea what the rules might be at any moment. So it doesn't matter even if all of those rules are technically better 
that system is way worse off than a different system, a different game that has one set of rules that never changes, even if those rules are worse. Why? Well, because the, the stability and the predictability of those worse rules allows people to form strategies and plans that allow them to get ahead, even if those rules are objectively worse. Because at least the certainty allows the planning and allowing the planning allows people to make and form strategies that push them forward and provide. That's what provides the economic success, not the rules themselves. It's the unchanging rules. And that's really that what when you get down to the reason for the Constitution in the United States, uh, that's what rule of law is. It's rule of law saying, hey, here's the here are the rules that no person can ever change because we need a set of rules as a foundation that cannot be changed because that provides the foundation for a prosperous society. If the rules can change every time we get a new ruler, then nobody ever knows what the next rules will be. And then you're under rule of man and the only limit on power is uh, the will of the person in power. And so it gets, it gets into rule of man versus rule of law a little bit there. But uh, at the end of the day, the the fact is when you get into these situations where you have a lot of hyperinflation, laws are constantly changing and it makes business practically impossible, which means the economy starves. So let's get into some uh, some some things of, you know, some practical things to do to prepare for this in terms of surviving and thriving. Number one, sophisticated skills in environments like this become somewhat irrelevant. Uh, the people who are, um, the, the people who have the skills that are the, uh, the white collar skills really do not have, uh, any sort of a, um, broken world value. So they, they become largely insignificant. Um, when you, you know, a, a lot of white collar skills, let's say you even still have the ability to make money. Um, a lot of things that you need are in such short supply that you, even if you have the money for it, you can't buy it. Even if you have the money for the bread, um, in your bank account, you don't have the daily withdrawal limit to be able to buy it. Even if you have the money for a tank of gas, you don't have the ability to be the first in line that night to get it because it was rationed out. Um, even if you have the money to afford all the electricity you want, well, there's a rolling blackout in your area. So a lot of the times, some of the sophisticated skills, the white collar skills become a lot less valuable relative to the blue collar skills, the putting your hands to work, knowing how to create and produce things for yourself. Um, it, it really boils the society down to uh, survival being the thing that matters most, um, being able to provide for those most basic needs, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, so, uh, uh, so what to do then? So number one, this is going to sound like, I mean, in light of the last couple of years, it's probably, um, probably the least, uh, <laughs> the least crazy, uh, this could sound in terms of recent history, but you, you do have to get a little prepperish. If you think there's a chance of hyperinflation, you want to make sure you can cover your base needs. You want to make sure that you can filter your water. Because at the end of the day, utilities are all, always are very unstable and go down during in these places with hyperinflation. So if you think that's a possibility for you, you've got to have a way to clean your own water because you might not have clean water coming in through your pipes. 
you've got to have a way to feed yourself. So whether that's storing a lot of food and being able to, you know, slowly ration yourself off of that, whether that's the ability to go out some way and produce your food for yourself, if you have the ability to grow it, uh, have animals, whatever it is, you have to have some sort of an, some sort of an ability to produce food for yourself uh, because when push comes to shove, you might have some days where you can't rely on other people to get it for you. Um, things like shelter, things like clothing, uh, all of the most basic needs you do somewhat have to be just a little bit prepared. You don't have to go crazy, but the last two years have shown very clearly when you have the eighth largest economy in the world, the state of California, regularly having rolling blackouts. You think that's not going to get worse as the financial conditions in this country get worse? It is definitely not going to get better. Um, and so you have to have a little bit of preparation for some of these things. You don't have to go all out. You don't have to spend a ton of money, but you do have to be somewhat, uh, uh, you have to somewhat recognize the fact that um, you may not be able to always go into the grocery store and find everything you need on the shelves and have the ability to buy them. Um, the, uh, the next thing, let's talk about debt. Uh, there are two forms of debt that we need to talk about, fixed rate and adjustable rate. Fixed rate debt is in hyperinflation. One of what it be it well it becomes extinct first of all, and so if you can lock it in before hyperinflation sets in, it is one of the most valuable assets that exists, because fixed rate debt is essentially shorting the dollar. That's what it is. Um, when you uh, an example of shorting, uh, just in case you don't know what shorting is, because when you like when you buy a stock, you buy it and then you sell it uh, when you want your cash back. Shorting is the opposite. You sell stock first, then you buy it back uh, to close. Now, that seems preposterous to people. A lot of times the first time hearing about it, I remember the first time somebody explained shorting to me, it literally took an hour conversation for me to realize what they were saying. Now, part of that was because of the way they were describing it, but <laughs> which I, I'll, I'll fix for you here. So uh, understand shorting with this iPhones every year, the new iPhone comes out, right? So you go to your friend, it's, uh, you know, a month before the new iPhone comes out, you say, Hey, uh, Hey friend, I need to borrow your iPhone. I know you've got your old iPhone just sitting on your shelf. It's the iPhone, uh, seven. Uh, can I borrow it from you? And he says, sure, I'm not using it. Here's my iPhone. You take it and you immediately go list it on eBay and you sell it and you sell it for, let's say across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. 
So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 500 bucks. So you sell this old used iPhone for 500 bucks. Now, at this moment, what you've done is you've borrowed something and then you've exchanged that item for something else. You have shorted the iPhone. That's what a short is. When you borrow something and exchange it for something else, you borrowed his iPhone and exchange it for dollars. At this point, you owe your friend an iPhone. You do not owe him dollars. You owe him an iPhone because you've borrowed an iPhone with a promise to repay an iPhone. You've also exchanged that iPhone for dollars, which means that you've borrowed something and then exchanged it for something else. So you've shorted it. Now, ideally what happens is a month later, the new iPhone comes out, then all existing iPhones drop in price by a hundred bucks. You go buy another iPhone seven on eBay for $400 now, and you pocket the hundred dollar difference and you give your buddy back the uh, iPhone seven. And he's in the exact same position he was in before. He has an iPhone seven still, and you have a a nice cool hundred bucks in your pocket that you made. Now, when you short a currency, you are again exchanging it. So let's say you're shorting the dollar, you're going to borrow it, and then you're going to exchange it for something else. So if you borrow dollars and then exchange it for something else, you might exchange it for another currency. You might exchange it for Bitcoin. You might exchange it for gold. You might exchange it for a house. Most people don't realize this, but when you have a mortgage on a house, you are short the dollar. And especially if your mortgage is bigger, larger than the total worth of your assets, you are net short the dollar. Okay. So uh, what do shorts mean? So if, if you borrow something and you exchange it for something else, you owe that thing back. So you owe the iPhone back. Let's go back to the iPhone example. Ideally, the iPhone goes down in value because if the iPhone goes down in value, you can then buy it back in order to give it back, and then close out your transaction. But what happens if uh, Apple comes out and says, hey, we've got some issues going on, some internal team things, some supply chain issues. We are uh, having to, uh, as of, uh, you know, immediately shut down all iPhone production. Well, what do you think is going to happen to all existing iPhones at that moment? I think they're probably going to start increasing in price pretty rapidly because iPhones are a consumable product. They break. So the supply of existing iPhones will immediately 
start decreasing instead of increasing like they always have. And as people's iPhones break, they'll need new iPhones in order to replace their old iPhones. And so they'll be willing to pay more and more to get their hands on them because the supply is going down. And so in anticipation of that, people might immediately starting start to buy up all of the inventory of iPhones, meaning that that price of the iPhone might go up. At that moment, what happens if your buddy comes to you and he says, hey, (laughs) you borrowed my iPhone. I want to take advantage of prices going up. Give it back to me right now because I'm going to go sell it and I'm going to sell it for a profit. Well, now you are screwed because you borrowed an iPhone from him. What do you owe him back? An iPhone. You don't owe him back $500. You don't owe him back anything but an iPhone. So you have to go out out into the open market and buy an iPhone 7. And let's say they're $800 now. You have to buy that iPhone for $800, give it to him. And now you are out $800 when you originally sold it for $500. You net lost $300. So when you short something, your goal is for it to go down in value because you're selling it before you buy it. You're borrowing it so that you can sell it and then buy it back later to close out the transaction. So when you're shorting the dollar, you are hoping the dollar goes down in value. Now, that seems a little bit uh Um, confusing at first because normally we don't measure the value of dollars in other things. We do it the other way around. So we measure things in dollars, the value of things with dollars. So what would that look like in, in a reality? Let's say you short the dollar. So you borrow dollars, you exchange those dollars for a, a rental property. When you exchange those dollars for a rental property, you have now shorted the dollar and you are hoping the dollar goes down in value. Well, if the dollar goes down in value, That's just another way of saying that rental property goes up in value relative to dollars. And so when you purchase real assets with borrowed dollars, you are prepping for hyperinflation by shorting the thing that you are pretty sure is going to go down in value, the currency, and then using that currency to buy things that you're pretty sure are going to go up in value from the hyperinflation, the things that people absolutely need, the things like maybe it's energy, maybe it's food, maybe it's farmland, maybe it's real estate, maybe it's gold, whatever it is. When you short the dollar and then use those dollars that you borrowed to buy things that people have always needed and will always continue to need, those are the type of trades that typically do very well during currency transitions because the currency collapses. Another way of saying the currency collapses is saying that the supply of currency becomes extremely high. The money becomes extremely abundant. And so when you go out there then Let's say you borrowed, let's say you borrow $500,000 to buy a house today and then hyperinflation sets in that house becomes worth a million dollars, $2 million, $3 million. The only way that the price goes up that high is because there's enough money out there to support that. Well, let's say the price of the house now becomes worth a billion dollars. That means a loaf of bread is worth a million dollars. How easy is it for you to get your hands on a million dollars? All you got to do is locate a few loaves of bread and sell them. Now you have $500,000 easy to pay off that loan and you still have a house. And so as hyperinflation sets in, the price measured in dollars of everything goes up as the value of the currency goes down. That's because the abundance of that currency goes up. It becomes easier to get your hands on that currency. And so entering into that situation with 
fixed rate debt, meaning you've shorted the dollar, you've borrowed it and used it to buy real assets that last through hyperinflation. You, you win on both sides of the equation. Now, this whole time I've been talking about fixed rate debt because the reality is when hyper when any inflation sets in, interest rates go up because lenders realize, hey, if I give you $100 and then you give me $110 back, but by the time you give me that $110, whatever I was going to buy now costs $115, they're not going to do that deal. That's a bad deal. So they're not going to lend at that amount. And so what they're going to do is they're going to raise interest rates to compensate themselves for the amount of purchasing power they're losing. So if the cost of living goes from $100 to $120, the interest rate on that debt will be at least $20. And so uh, interest rates will go up, but not on fixed rate debt. So mortgages, auto loans, some other loans, they're the only ones with uh, uh, fixed interest rates over specific time periods. Those are the ones that you can use to short the dollar because you can pull those and you can use that money to buy real assets that people need. The things that will become in short supply as production shuts down, as people have to rely on the things that they need most, Um, not purses, not fancy clothes, not uh, gadgets, not um, uh, uh, entertainment or luxuries, but the, the survival things that people need now. Adjustable rate debt is a completely different story. Uh, Absolutely not the case with adjustable rate debt because like credit cards, um, you know, many home equity lines of credit, uh, lots of adjustable rate debt out there. As inflation gets going, they just keep on raising the interest rates on it. And so if inflation sets in really heavily, you'll get to the point where you, you, it's impossible to make enough money just to pay the minimum payments on that debt. So adjustable rate debt, you want to absolutely have zero of it. Never, ever, ever have any adjustable rate debt because the amount that you'll owe on it uh, will continue to go up to all, and it will always be above the inflation rate. Um, so it'll never be a good deal. You'll never be able to win that trade of shorting the dollar with adjustable rate debt because the amount of dollars you'll have to pay back will always be more than what you can make um, on the other side of that trade because it's adjustable. Um, regarding regarding things like uh, um, leasing or owning. In situations like this, survival becomes key. And so uh, one of the results of that is that real useful objects become in short supply. We talked about this with like gas, food, energy, same thing with like cars and homes, the things that people need to, because at the end of the day, everything is consumable. All real goods are uh, eventually break. Uh, there, There's nothing that just continues to produce and get better by itself without effort over time. Um, even like farmland, it takes work, uh, uh, even though it's, you know, plants and animals technically survive um, and grow, you still have to feed them, you still have to tend to them, you still have to take care of them, it takes labor. And so um, owning things is what will uh, get you through, like, if you lease your car, for example, um, hyperinflation sets in, bank takes your car back, now there's no cars available and you can't afford uh, to buy another car. And so uh, owning things that are highly likely to be in short supply is a very good way to ensure at least survival through uh, hyperinflation. Um, In terms of skills, we already talked about uh, 
the skills, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, producing your own food, being able to fix your own things, being able to produce your own things. Um, another, uh, another, and we talked about uh, investing. You want, you want to invest in real assets like real estate, farmland, water, agriculture, uh, companies that deal in all of those things because those companies will continue to make profits. Smaller companies, the better because they're more agile, more adaptable. They are more able to deal under the table and do the black market things that will allow them to survive rather than some of the big ones that are in bed with the government that will have to continue to do things officially. And we'll we'll just die of uh, bloatedness and old age. Um, And so those are the types of assets that typically uh, survive through the currency transition. And I say currency transition because there's always another currency on the other side of it, whether it's gold, Bitcoin, another fiat currency, whatever it is. There's always something on the other side. So you're you're looking to just survive the transition to the new financial system on the other side of this. Um, One very important asset to have during this time could be a second passport. Many people get stuck in their countries because they don't have the ability to, uh, uh, to go live somewhere else. So having the ability, even just in your back pocket, just the option, if you want to, to go live somewhere else could be the one thing that allows you to survive or thrive more than, uh, more than anybody else. Because as long as you have the option, then you know you can use it if you need it. Um, many people can get this through uh, their um, uh, through their family. If you have uh, uh, family, whether it's you know uh, parents or grandparents from another country, uh, many times you can get uh, dual citizenship and a second passport that way. Because um, we all saw during COVID, you know. W- they number one, they were not granting new passports just like to be able to leave your country. Um, number two, they weren't allowing people to travel, uh, just leave the country for a while so they can restrict travel. But if you were a citizen of another country, they couldn't stop you. They had to let you go home. And that's just the, that's just the way it is. So if you can say, Hey, no, like I belong over there. You can't stop me here. They will let you go. So that's having a ticket out. If things get really bad is something that is, um, it's very important to have. Um, and then, uh, for the last thing that we're going to, we're going to talk about here is that transition to the other currency, because that's really what we're trying to do here is survive the transition to the other side. There will always be a new currency that replaces it. The, regardless of how bad it gets, it's always going to be temporary and at it, and it comes from the bottom up. So when you look at these uh, examples in history, a lot of times it looks like, oh, well, they just decided that they were going to have a new gold backed uh, uh, gold backed paper money after this. It's like, no, the people decided to start using this. Therefore, the government had to. Otherwise, the government couldn't do anything. They had to follow the will of the people. And that's what happens everywhere. You see the people start to use other forms of money and then the government eventually follows. And the government doesn't follow at first because they think that they can still have unlimited purchasing power as long as they print the money and spend it on the right things. Um, And they don't want to use the other money that most people would prefer because it would limit their spending power. But ultimately, the government realizes at the end of the day that they have no choice They have to, they succumb and they start to use the harder money that the people have already chosen. So keep an open eye out. 
Look around. What are people storing their wealth in? What are people saving and not spending unless they absolutely have to? Are people storing gold and spending their dollars? Are people storing Bitcoin and spending their dollars? Are people uh, buying other currencies from other countries and storing them and then only spending their local currency and only spending the, the alternative one if they absolutely have to? So you keep your eyes open and you look around. Like in Lebanon, if you have dollars, it's that you can buy anything. It's very, very, very difficult to get dollars though, because if you have the lira, nobody wants to uh, exchange lira for dollars, and so they're invaluable. So if when you go going into this situation, you start to look at what are people hoarding, because I want some of that. What are the currencies and the forms of money that people are saving and not spending unless they absolutely have to? And normally, it's a harder currency, whether that's another country's money or whether that's a new form of money like Bitcoin or the oldest form of money like gold, people start to hoard it and save their money in it and, and, and build up their savings that way. So keep an eye open and watch out for what people are doing because when push comes to shove at the end of the day, you get into hyperinflation, it'll be very difficult to exchange your failing currency for that new money. And um, it's not necessary to choose the one that will win. It's just necessary to choose something that will survive. So that's why I usually recommend buying gold and silver and Bitcoin because you don't know which one will win, but it's not necessary to know which one will win. It's just necessary to have something that will survive and on the other side, you can always exchange the thing that survives for the new money. You can always sell your real estate for gold. You can always sell your gold for Bitcoin. It's the fiat currencies that will not survive and die. And so um, at the end of the day, that is how we survive and thrive through hyperinflation is prioritizing our needs, investing in the real assets that have always survived, investing in the companies that deal in those assets that have always survived. Um, and by being shrewd, keeping our eyes open and watching out for what people are doing on the ground up. As always, thank you so much for listening and you guys have a great day. We will see you next week. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win, everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected subject to terms, conditions and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.